Chapter forty five of Queechy by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Chapter forty five. How much trouble one may have about a note. Heat not a furnace for your friend so hot that it may singe yourself. Shakespeare. Mr. Carleton went to Madame Fouche's, who received most graciously, as any lady would, his apology for introducing himself unlooked for, and begged that he would commit the same fault often. As soon as practicable, he made his way to Charlton, and invited him to breakfast with him the next morning. Mrs. Carleton always said it never was known that Guy was refused anything he had a mind to ask. Charlton, though taken by surprise, and certainly not too much prepossessed in his favour, was won by an influence that where its owner chose to exert it was generally found irresistible, and not only accepted the invitation, but was conscious to himself of doing it with a good deal of pleasure. Even when Mr. Carleton made the further request that Captain Rossiter would in the meantime see no one on business of any kind, intimating that the reason would then be given, Charlton, though startling a little at this restraint, upon his freedom of motion, could do no other than give the desired promise, and with the utmost readiness. Guy then went to Mr. Thorne's. It was by this time not early. Mr. Lewis Thorne, is he at home? He is, sir, said the servant, admitting him rather hesitatingly. I wish to see him a few moments on business. It is no hour for business, said the voice of Mr. Lewis, from over the balusters. I can't see anybody to-night. I ask but a few minutes, said Mr. Carleton. It is important. It may be anything, said Thorne. I won't do business after twelve o'clock. Mr. Carleton desired the servant to carry his card, with the same request, to Mr. Thorne the elder. What's that? said Thorne, as the man came upstairs. My father? Pshaw! He can't attend to it. "'Well, walk up, sir, if you please. May as well have it over and done with it.' Mr. Carleton mounted the stairs and followed the young gentleman into an apartment to which he rapidly led the way. "'You've no objections to this, I suppose?' Thorne remarked, as he locked the door behind him. "'Certainly not,' said Mr. Carleton coolly, taking out the key and putting it in his pocket. "'My business is private. It needs no witnesses.' "'Especially as it so nearly concerns yourself,' said Thorne sneeringly. "'Which part of it, sir?' said Mr. Carleton, with admirable breeding. It vexed at the same time that it constrained Thorne. "'I'll let you know presently,' he said, hurriedly proceeding to the lower end of the room, where some cabinets stood, and unlocking door after door in mad haste. The place had somewhat the air of a study, perhaps Thorne's private room, a long table stood in the middle of the floor, with materials for writing, and a good many books were about the room, in cases and on the tables, with maps and engravings and portfolios, and a nameless collection of articles, the miscellaneous gathering of a man of leisure and some literary taste. Their owner presently came back from the cabinets, with tokens of a very different kind about him. "'There, sir,' he said, offering to his guest, a brace of most inhospitable-looking pistols. Take one and take your stand, as soon as you please. Nothing like coming to the point at once. 
He was heated and excited even more than his manner indicated. Mr. Carleton glanced at him, and stood quietly examining the pistol he had taken. It was already loaded. "'This is a business that comes upon me by surprise,' he said calmly. "'I don't know what I have to do with this, Mr. Thorne.' "'Well, I do,' said Thorne, "'and that's enough. Take your place, sir. You escaped me once, but—' and he gave his words dreadful emphasis— "'You won't do it the second time.' "'You do not mean,' said the other, "'that your recollection of such an offence has lived out so many years?' "'No, sir, no, sir,' said Thorne. "'It is not that. I despise it as I do the offender. You have touched me more nearly.' "'Let me know in what way,' said Mr. Carleton, turning his pistol's mouth down upon the table and leaning on it. "'You know already what you ask me for.' said Thorne, who was foaming. "'If you say you don't, you lie heartily. I'll tell you nothing but out of this.' "'I have not knowingly injured you, sir, in a wit.' "'Then a Carleton may be a liar,' said Thorne, "'and you are one. Dare say not the first. Put yourself there, sir, will you?' "'Well,' said Guy carelessly, "'if it is decreed that I am to fight, of course there's no help for it.' "'But as I have business on hand that might not be so well done afterwards, "'I must beg your attention to that in the first place.' "'No, sir,' said Thorne. "'I'll attend to nothing. I'll hear nothing from you. "'I know you. I'll not hear a word. I'll see to the business. Take your stand.' "'I will not have anything to do with pistols,' said Mr. Carleton coolly, "'laying his out of his hand. They make too much noise.' "'Who cares for the noise?' said Thorne. "'It won't hurt you, and the door is locked.' "'But people's ears are not,' said Guy. Neither tone nor attitude nor look had changed in the least its calm gracefulness. It began to act upon Thorne. "'Well, in the devil's name have your own way,' said he, throwing down his pistol too, and going back to the cabinets at the lower end of the room. "'There are rapiers here, if you like them better.' I don't. The shortest, the best for me. But here they are. Take your choice. Guy examined them carefully for a few minutes, and then laid them both, with a firm hand upon them, on the table. I will choose neither, Mr. Thorne, till you have heard me. I came here to see you on the part of others. I should be a recreant to my charge if I allowed you, or myself, to draw me into anything that might prevent my fulfilling it. That must be done first. Thorn looked with a lowering brow on the indications of his opponent's eye and attitude. They left him plainly but one course to take. "'Well, speak and have done,' he said, as in spite of himself. "'But I know it already.' "'I am here as a friend of Mr. Rossiter. "'Why don't you say a friend of somebody else and come nearer the truth?' said Thorn. There was an intensity of expression in his sneer, but pain was there as well as anger, and it was with even a feeling of pity that Mr. Carleton answered, "'The truth will be best reached, sir, if I am allowed to choose my own words.' There was no haughtiness in the steady gravity of this speech, whatever there was in the quiet silence he permitted to follow. Thorn did not break it. I am informed of the particulars concerning this prosecution of Mr. Rossiter. I am come here to know if no terms can be obtained. No, said Thorne, no terms. I won't speak of terms. 
The matter will be followed up now till the fellow is lodged in jail, where he deserves to be. Are you aware, sir, that this, if done, will be the cause of very great distress to a family who have not deserved it? That can't be helped, said Thorn. Of course, it must cause distress, but you can't act upon that. Of course, when a man turns rogue, he ruins his family. That's part of his punishment, and a just one. The law is just, said Mr. Carleton, but a friend may be merciful. I don't pretend to be a friend, said Thorn viciously, and I have no cause to be merciful. I like to bring a man to public shame when he has forfeited his title to anything else, and I intend that Mr. Rossiter shall become intimately acquainted with the interior of the state's prison. Did it ever occur to you that public shame might fall upon other than Mr. Rossiter, and without the state prison? Thorn fixed a somewhat startled look upon the steady, powerful eye of his opponent, and did not like its meaning. "'You must explain yourself, sir,' he said haughtily. "'I am acquainted with all the particulars of this proceeding, Mr. Thorn. If it goes abroad, so surely will they.' "'She told you, did she?' said Thorn, in a sudden flash of fury. Mr. Carleton was silent, with his air of imperturbable reserve, telling and expressing nothing but a cool independence that put the world at a distance. Ha! said Thorn. It is easy to see why our brave Englishman comes here to solicit terms for his honest friend Rossiter. He would not like the scandal of franking letters to sign signature. Come, sir, he said, snatching up the pistol. Our business is ended. Come, I say, or I won't wait for you. But the pistol was struck from his bod. Not yet, said Mr. Carleton calmly. You shall have your turn at these, mind, I promise you. But my business must be done first. Till then, let them alone. Well, what is it? said Thorn impatiently. Rossiter will be a convict, I tell you, so you'll have to give up all thoughts of his niece, or pocket her shame along with her. What more have you got to say? That's all your business, I take it. You are mistaken, Mr. Thorn, said Mr. Carleton gravely. Am I? In what? In every position of your last speech. It don't affect your plans and views, I suppose, personally, whether this prosecution is continued or not? It does not in the least. It is indifferent to you, I suppose, what sort of queen consort you carry to your little throne of provinciality down yonder? I will reply to you, sir, when you come back to the subject, said Mr. Carleton coldly. You mean to say that your pretensions have not been in the way of mine? I have made none, sir. Doesn't she like you? I have never asked her. Then what possessed her to tell you all this to-night? Simply because I was an old friend, and the only one at hand, I presume. And you do not look for any reward of your services, of course? I wish for none, sir, but her relief. Well, it don't signify, said Thorn, with a mixture of expressions in his face. If I believed you— which I don't. It don't signify a hair what you do when once this matter is known. I should never think of advancing my pretensions into a felon's family. You know that the lady in whose welfare you take so much interest will, in that case, suffer aggravated distress as having been the means of hindering Mr. Rossiter's escape. Can't help it, said Thorn, beating the table with a ruler. 
so she has she must suffer for it it isn't my fault you are willing then to abide the consequences of a full disclosure of all the circumstances for part will not come out with the whole there is happily nobody to tell them said thorn with a sneer pardon me they will not only be told but known thoroughly in all the circles in this country that know mr thorn's name the lady said thorn in the same tone would hardly relish such a publication of her name her welfare would be scantily advantaged by it i will take the risk of that upon myself said mr carleton quietly and the charge of the other you dare not said thorn you shall not go alive out of this room to do it let me have it sir you said you would his passion was at a fearful height for the family pride which had been appealed to felt a touch of fear and his other thoughts were confirmed again besides the dim vision of a possible thwarting of all his plans desire almost concentrated itself upon revenge against the object that threatened them he had thrown himself again towards the weapons which lay beyond his reach but was met and forcibly withheld from them stand back said mr carleton i said i would but i am not ready finish this business first what is there to finish said thorn furiously you will never live to do anything out of these doors again you are mocking yourself my life is not in your hands sir and i will settle this matter before i put it in peril if not with you with mr thorn your father to whom it more properly belongs you cannot leave the room to see him said thorn sneeringly that is at my pleasure said the other unless hindered by means i do not think you will use thorn was silent will you yield anything of justice once more in favor of this distressed family that is yield the whole and let the guilty go free when the punishment of the offender would involve that of so many unoffending who in this case would feel it with peculiar severity he deserves it if it was only for the money he has kept me out of he ought to be made to refund what he has stolen if it took the skin off his back that part of his obligation said mr carleton i am authorized to discharge on condition of having the note given up i have a cheque with me which i am commissioned to fill up from one of the best names here i need only the date of the note which the giver of the cheque did not know thorn hesitated again tapping the table with the ruler in a troubled manner he knew by the calm erect figure before him and the steady eye he did not care to meet that the threat of disclosure would be kept he was not prepared to brave it in case his revenge should fail and if it did not it is deuced folly he said at length with a half laugh for i shall have it back again in five minutes if my eye don't play me a trick however if you will have it so i don't care there are chances in all things he went again to the cabinets and presently brought the endorsed note Mr. Carleton gave it a cool and careful examination, to satisfy himself of its being the true one, and then delivered him the cheque, the blank duly filled up. "'There are chances in nothing, sir,' he said, as he proceeded to burn the note effectually in the candle. "'What do you mean?' "'I mean that there is a supreme disposer of all things, who among the rest 
has our lives in his hand. And now, sir, I will give you that chance at my life, for which you have been so eagerly wishing. Well, take your place, said Thorn, seizing his pistol, and take your arms. Put yourself at that end of the table. I shall stand here, said Mr. Carleton, quietly folding his arms. You may take your place where you please. But you are not armed, said Thorn, impatiently. Why don't you get ready? What are you waiting for? I have nothing to do with arms, said Mr. Carleton, smiling. I have no wish to hurt you, Mr. Thorn. I bear you no ill will. But you may do what you please with me. But you promised, said Thorn, in desperation. I abide by my promise, sir. Thorn's pistol hand fell. He looked dreadfully. There was a silence of several minutes. Well, said Mr. Carleton, looking up and smiling. I can do nothing unless you will, said Thorn, hoarsely, and looking hurriedly away. I am at your pleasure, sir, but on my own part I have none to gratify. There was silence again, during which Thorn's face was pitiable in its darkness. He did not stir. I did not come here in enmity, Mr. Thorn, said Guy, after a little approaching him. I have none now. If you believe me, you will throw away the remains of yours, and take my hand in pledge of it. Thorn was ashamed and confounded in the midst of passions that made him at the moment a mere wreck of himself. He inwardly drew back exceedingly from the proposal, but the grace with which the words were said wrought upon all the gentlemanly character that belonged to him, and made it impossible not to comply. The pistol was exchanged for Mr. Carleton's hand. "'I need not assure you,' said the latter, "'that nothing of what we have talked of to-night shall ever be known or suspected in any quarter, unless by your means. Thorn's answer was merely a bow, and Mr. Carleton withdrew, his quondam antagonist lighting him ceremoniously to the door. It was easy for Mr. Carleton the next morning to deal with his guest at the breakfast-table. The appointments of the service were such as of themselves to put Charlton in a good humour, if he had not come already provided with that happy qualification, and the powers of manner and conversation which his entertainer brought into play not only put them into the background of Captain Rossiter's perceptions, but even made him merge certain other things in fascination, and lose all thought of what probably had called him there. Once before he had known Mr. Carleton come out in a like manner, but this time he forgot to be surprised. The meal was two-thirds over before the business that had drawn them together was alluded to. "'I made an odd request of you last night, Captain Rossiter,' said his host. "'You haven't asked for an explanation.' "'I had forgotten all about it,' said Rossiter candidly. "'I am inconsequent enough myself not to think everything odd that requires an explanation. "'Then I hope you will pardon me if mine seem to touch upon what is not my concern.' "'You had some cause to be displeased with Mr. Thorne's behaviour last night?' "'Who told you as much?' was in Rossiter's open eyes, and upon his tongue. But few ever asked naughty questions of Mr. Carleton. Charlton's eyes came back, not indeed to their former dimensions, but to his plate in silence. "'He was incomprehensible,' he said, after a minute, "'and didn't act like himself. "'I don't know what was the matter.' I shall call him to account for it. Captain Rossiter, 
I am going to ask you a favor. I will grant it with the greatest pleasure, said Charlton, if it lie within my power. A wise man's addition, said Mr. Carleton, but I trust you will not think me extravagant. I will hold myself much obliged to you if you will let Mr. Thorne's folly, or impertinence, go this time without notice. Charlton absolutely laid down his knife in astonishment, while at the same moment this slight let to the assertion of his dignity roused it to uncommon pugnaciousness. "'Sir, Mr. Carleton,' he stammered, "'I would be very happy to grant anything in my power. But this, sir, really goes beyond it.' "'Permit me to say,' said Mr. Carleton, "'that I have myself seen Thorn upon the business that occasioned his discomposure, and that it has been satisfactorily arranged, so that nothing more is to be gained, or desired, from a second interview. "'Who gave you authority to do any such thing?' was again in Charlton's eyes, and an odd twinge crossed his mind, but, as before, his thoughts were silent." "'My part of the business cannot have been arranged,' he said, "'for it lies in a question or two that I must put to the gentleman myself.' "'What will that question or two probably end in?' said Mr. Carleton significantly. "'I can't tell,' said Rossiter. "'Depends on himself. It will end according to his answers.' "'Is his offence so great that it cannot be forgiven upon my entreaty?' "'Mr. Carleton,' said Rossiter, I would gladly pleasure you, sir, but you see, this is a thing a man owes to himself. What thing, sir? Why, not to suffer impertinence to be offered him with impunity, even though the punishment extend to hearts at home that must feel it far more heavily than the offender? Would you suffer yourself to be insulted, Mr. Carleton? said Rossiter, by way of a mouth-stopper. Not if I could help it said Mr. Carleton, smiling. But if such a misfortune happened, I don't know how it would be repaired by being made a matter of life and death. But honour might, said Rossiter. Honour is not reached, Captain Rossiter. Honour dwells in a strong citadel, and a squib against the walls does in no wise affect their security. But also, it is not consistent with honour to sit still and suffer it. Question. The firing of a cracker, I think, hardly warrants the sally. It calls for chastisement, though, said Rossiter, a little shortly. I don't know that, said Mr. Carleton gravely. We have it on the highest authority that it is the glory of man to pass by a transgression. But you can't go by that, said Charlton, a little fidgeted. The world wouldn't get along so. Men must take care of themselves. Certainly. But what part of themselves is cared for in this resenting of injuries? Why, their good name! As how affected? Pardon me. By the world's opinion, said Rossiter, which stamps every man with something worse than infamy who cannot protect his own standing. That is to say, said Mr. Carleton seriously, that Captain Rossiter will punish a fool's words with death, or visit the last extremity of distress upon those who are dearest to him, rather than leave the world in any doubt of his prowess. "'Mr. Carleton,' said Rossiter, colouring, "'what do you mean by speaking so, sir?' "'Not to displease you, Captain Rossiter.' 
then you count the world's opinion for nothing for less than nothing compared with the regards i have named you would brave it without scruple i do not call him a brave man who would not sir i remember said charlton half laughing you did it yourself once and i must confess i believe nobody thought you lost anything by it but forgive me for asking said mr carleton is this terrible world a party to this matter in the request which i made and which i have not given up sir do i presume upon any more than the sacrifice of a little private feeling why yes said charlton looking somewhat puzzled for i promised the fellow i would see to it and i must keep my word and you know how that will of necessity issue i can't consider that sir that is a secondary matter i must do what i told him i would at all hazards said mr carleton what hazards not hazard but certainty of incurring a reckoning far less easy to deal with what do you mean with yourself said rossiter no sir said mr carleton a shade of even sorrowful expression crossing his face i mean with one whose displeasure is a more weighty matter one who has declared very distinctly thou shalt not kill i am sorry for it said rossiter after a disturbed pause of some minutes i wish you had asked me anything else but we can't take this thing in the light you do sir i wish thorn had been in any spot of the world but at mrs de cotter's last night or that fleda hadn't taken me there but since he was there is no help for it i must make him account for his behaviour to her as well as to me i really don't know how to help it sir let me beg you to reconsider that mr carleton said with a smile which disarmed defence for if you will not help it i must charlton looked in doubt for a moment and then asked how he would help it in that case i shall think it my duty to have you bound over to keep the peace he spoke gravely now and with that quiet tone which always carries conviction charlton stared unmistakably and in silence you are not in earnest he then said i trust you will permit me to leave you forever in doubt on that point said mr carleton with again a slight giving way of the muscles of his face i cannot indeed said rossiter do you mean what you said just now entirely but mr carleton said rossiter flushing and not knowing exactly how to take him up is this the manner of one gentleman towards another he had not chosen right for he received no answer but in absolute quietness which needed no interpretation charlton was vexed and confused but somehow it did not come into his head to pick a quarrel with his host in spite of his irritation that was perhaps because he felt it to be impossible i beg your pardon he said most unconsciously verifying fleda's words in his own person but mr carleton do me the favour to say that i have misunderstood your words they are incomprehensible to me sir i must abide by them nevertheless captain rossiter mr carleton answered with a smile i will not permit this thing to be done while as i believe i have the power to prevent it 
you see, he said, smiling again, I put in practice my own theory. Charlton looked exceedingly disturbed, and maintained a vexed and irresolute silence for several minutes, realizing the extreme disagreeableness of having more than his match to deal with. "'Come, Captain Rossiter,' said the other, turning suddenly round upon him. "'Say that you forgive me what you know was meant in no disrespect to you.' "'I certainly should not,' said Rossiter, yielding, however, with a half-laugh. "'If it were not for the truth of the proverb, that it takes two to make a quarrel. Give me your hand upon that, and now that the question of honour is taken out of your hands, grant not to me, but to those for whom I ask it, your promise to forgive this man. Charlton hesitated, but it was difficult to resist the request. Backed as it was with weight of character, and grace of manner, along with its intrinsic reasonableness, and he saw no other way so expedient of getting out of his dilemma. "'I ought to be angry with somebody,' he said, half laughing and a little ashamed. "'If you will point out any substitute for Thorn, I will let him go, since I cannot help myself, with pleasure.' "'I will bear it,' said Mr. Carleton lightly. "'Give me your promise for Thorn, and hold me your debtor in what amount you please.' "'Very well, I forgive him,' said Rossiter. "'And now, Mr. Carleton, I shall have a reckoning with you some day for this.' I will meet it. When you are next in England you shall come down to Blankshire, and I will give you any satisfaction you please. They parted in high good humour, but Charlton looked grave as he went down the staircase. And, very oddly, all the way down to Whitehall, his head was running upon the various excellencies and perfections of his cousin Fleda. End of chapter 45